0: It's October 14th, 1984. Tiger Stadium in Southwest Detroit.
1: The fog persists in Detroit, a 30% chance of showers, but nothing will dim the enthusiasm of the fans inside Tiger
0: Stadium, the site of game five of the 1984 World Series. The feeling at Tiger Stadium is electric. For the first time since 1968, the Tigers have a shot at baseball's biggest prize. And they're coming off what some sports analysts say is still the single greatest season of any team in the sport.
1: And here we go. The first pitch of Game 5.
0: Outside of the stadium, it's a different kind of energy. White flight to the suburbs, mass exodus of business, chronic disinvestment. But everyone, city and suburbs, inside the stadium and out, is behind this team. And then, they win it all.
1: Renicky off the bag at first, the pitch, he swings, and there's a fly ball to left. Here comes Herndon, he's there, he's got it! The Tigers are the champions of 1984!
0: And just like that, the electricity in the city explodes. The celebration goes on for hours. But at some point, things outside get a little rowdy. Here's reporter Paul Eisenstein at the scene for NPR.
2: The fans began pounding on hoods,
3: smashing windshields. And from there, the situation quickly got out of control. A
0: riot, led by white suburbanites, takes over the streets surrounding the stadium.
2: A half dozen police cars were rolled over set ablaze. The fans pelted police with beer bottles and stones and anything else they could find.
0: The stadium goes on lockdown leaving players, their families, the press, some fans, stuck inside. And maybe you're like, okay, but what does this have to do with pizza? Well, what do you do when you're stuck somewhere with a bunch of hungry people and you need to feed the masses? You order pizza. And in this case, if you're a Detroit Tiger, you know a guy. Tom Monahan, The team owner also happens to own Domino's and a helicopter. Monahan calls up his pilot and is like, get over here, we have an issue. The chopper lands on second base and then Monahan sends him off to Ypsilanti to go and secure dozens of Domino's pizzas for these world champions. The helicopter flies back to the city, feasibly in
3: fewer than 30 minutes, and they make the ultimate delivery his helicopter landed on the outfield and brought out box after box of pizza. That's veteran Detroit journalist Bill McGraw. And he passed out pizza to the fans.
0: He covered the Tigers in 1984 and was there that night. He says this situation was just like monahan a bit strange and larger than life. Bill says the celebrations in the clubhouse and the riot outside the stadium stole most of the press coverage that night, of course leaving just as a footnote in history maybe the single best delivery guy story I've ever heard. But that night, that World Series run, it has everything to do with the building of a pizza empire. This is Doe Dynasty, a podcast exploring how Michigan became a pizza chain powerhouse and reshaped American taste buds along the way. I'm Laura Weber Davis.
4: And I'm April Bear. On this episode, pizza power and how it's spilled over into politics, real estate,
0: and more. Pizza delivered by a helicopter. I don't know. It's a bit over the top. But guess what? It was the 1980s. Music videos.
4: Big hair, Jane Fonda workout tapes. Lift it
5: up, all the way down.
4: And pizza. So much pizza. Pizza, pizza.
1: Pizza. Pizza? Pizza.
4: Little Caesars and Domino's made it through the tough early years of building the business. Now, both companies are franchising and expanding well beyond Michigan. And
0: pizza is quickly becoming America's preferred fast food, expanding faster than burger joints and chains by a long shot.
5: Pizza. Shouldn't it be
3: on your table this Christmas instead of that ugly ham?
0: Pizzerias have gone from novelty to necessity in America in just a couple short decades.
1: It was exciting because, again, people still, they craved at an unbelievable rate, the, the pizza in particular, and, and were so excited when we opened up in their hometowns that, that oh, we've we've got a pizzeria now in, in whatever town we happen to open in.
0: That's Stuart DeGosses. When he retired, he was vice president of concept and industry intelligence at Little Caesars Pizza. But he worked in the pizza chain industry for decades, first with Domino's.
1: So I spent seven years with Domino's in the marketing department in various roles. And then um, Little Caesars called and said, would you ever consider switching? And I couldn't pass up an invitation to have lunch with one of the Illich's. And, And a few short weeks later, there I was working at the Fox in downtown Detroit.
0: And how does this industry insider like his pizza?
1: I like a, a basic pizza with pepperoni, and uh, I think thin crust is outstanding because you really get to taste the toppings, and certainly who could pass up crazy bread at, at Little Caesars? And it's kind of like fries at McDonald's. You go to pick up your, your dinner, and you're munching on the fries, or the crazy bread in this case, on the way home.
0: Throughout the 1980s and 90s, the competition is heating up for the biggest slice of the chain pizza pie. It was hot, like bubbling cheese burning the roof of your mouth.
1: It was a war, and, and uh, everybody was battling for that sale.
4: Okay, okay, maybe it's not quite that serious. Although plenty of newspapers at the time were describing the competition between the top chains as these so-called pizza wars. Yes, exactly. The
0: Washington Post literally wrote, The first shot was fired on July 7th, 1983. But we're not talking about the military industrial complex. We're talking about the pizza industrial complex. So can we please go with a different metaphor? Well, what about baseball? Yes, please.
4: Think of the major pizza chains as pitchers on the mound. And the American public is the catcher. The catcher's behind the plate with a hungry look in his eye. The three emerging pizza giants. Domino's, Little Caesars, and Pizza Hut are all pitching sliders and curveballs and fastballs.
0: Folks, we've got some stiff competition today
3: among pizza's top teams.
4: Hoping their competition swings and misses while they get their product across the plate and into American mitts.
2: Oh. Ouch. Strike three, and the batter was struck out looking.
4: The
0: first pitch comes from Domino's, and the wind-up is quick and easy delivery. The pitch, it's a fastball. Domino's introduces its 30-minute or less guarantee. If the pizza arrives late, the customer gets a discount. Again, here's Stuart DeGoss.
1: It was basically 100% delivery, and uh, everything was geared towards the stores in terms of making the pies and running them to the cars and running them up to the person's house.
4: At this point, Caesars isn't really trying to compete with Domino's on delivery. Little Caesars had its own kind of convenience. You place an order and you can come pick it up for carryout in about 15 minutes. And so we kind of coexisted um, because we were different concepts. That's Mike Illich's daughter, Denise. She's now president of Illich Enterprises.
5: Yes, we were selling pizza. But we were a carryout, and they are delivery. And sometimes there's crossover, but sometimes there's not.
0: But the relentless focus on actually bringing food to the customer gave Domino's some key advantages.
1: At Domino's, you really didn't have to be at the corner of 1st and Main Street because you needed just parking places and a a place to make the pizzas. and, but for Little Caesars in the carryo business, you had to be visible and you had to be very convenient.
0: And delivery provided Domino's some stick-em, I guess you could say, something that would turn out to be incredibly important. Data. And lots of it.
1: At Domino's, we knew that you lived at 1508 you know, 6th Street. And you'll hear this on the phones even to this very day. Do you want to repeat your same order? Um Well, and then you say, well, what was it? I can't remember. But the store knows exactly what it was.
4: Domino's is crushing it, rapidly expanding its brand and holding on to more than 50 percent of the pizza delivery market through the 1980s. So at this
0: point, Pizza Hut's starting to feel the heat. Going against what a lot of franchisees wanted, the Hut invests millions in setting up delivery-only stores, helped along by the deep pockets of its parent company, PepsiCo. So if
4: delivery was Domino's superpower, how about Little Caesars? In our last episode, you heard Denise Illich mention that for her dad, it was all about value. He was
5: very zealous on staying value oriented, not delivering, really protecting our niche. Which brings us to say it with me.
1: Pizza, 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 pizza. Two great pizzas for one low price.
0: The two for one deal didn't just make for a good slogan, it was core to the company's identity. But this pitch, it turns out, is a slider. You think it's going one way, and then it's the other. The name of the game
4: is value, right? Part of that is a low price, but part of it is making people feel like they are getting something for the deal. And in 1993, this takes the shape of one of the biggest, cheesiest monstrosities ever to hit American dinner plates, Little Caesars one-ups its own famous two-for-one deal with the Big Big Pizza.
2: Two big pan pizzas with more cheese, more pepperoni, 24 slices, or get a family-sized bucket of spaghetti with meat sauce. Two so
4: the- humongous pies for the price of one, weighing in at a whopping 4.5 pounds of dough, sauce, cheese, and toppings. Oof! Little Caesars Big Big captures the price conscious consumer. The company sees more than 50% increase in sales following the Big Big introduction. And at this point, Pizza Hut's like, hold my Pepsi.
2: When it arrives, you better not be alone. Bigfoot. Pizza Hut! From Pizza Hut.
0: The Bigfoot pizza was the size of a small coffee table, a full 12 by 24
4: inches. And not to be outdone, Domino's comes out with the Dominator.
1: Some people think Domino's extra-large Dominator pizza with more crust, more cheese, and more toppings is just too much for one family to handle.
4: A 30 slice pizza that was almost a full yard long. (laughs) People, what are we doing here?
0: Ugh, God, I'm getting heartburn just thinking about it. It's like, you know when you see a pitcher throw something so wild— and the batter just gets a piece of it, and it bounces off the ground, and it hits the catcher in the face mask or, you know, somewhere else. That was America, keeled over on the ground in a pizza coma, hit in the face with a coffee table-sized pizza.
4: The umpire comes out to give America some breathing room, dusting red pepper flakes and parmesan off a home plate with a full of newspaper inserts and coupons for that free two-liter of cola with your medium pizza.
0: And then Little Caesars is like, poor America, let me pitch them a softball. The hot and ready.
1: Well, I think the the biggest innovation that I've ever, ever been involved in was hot and ready. I mean, that completely turned the industry on, on its ear.
5: We were trying to think about how we could pick up business on Mondays and Tuesdays. And so... What we did is we started discounting the pizzas because it was such a quiet day. And we started selling, you know, pizzas at $5. A franchisee in Virginia took it a step
0: further. They were cutting the phone cords all together, making it cheese and pepperoni pizzas for pickup only.
5: And dad and I flew there. And I remember it being very quiet, that the phones were not ringing, which for a Little Caesars is not a good sign. And it was like a huge success. And so we started to adopt it in our stores. All the
4: while, Pizza Hut is maintaining its hold on America as the sit-down pizzeria chain for families, with lures for the youngest members of the family. Every day, Pizza Hut has the kids' pizza pack. You get a personal pan pizza, cup, and cool surprise. The personal pan pizza found its way into school cafeterias. They had a reading program with free pizza for kids. And they had all kinds of swag for kids who ate in their red-roofed restaurants. Pizza Hut stays number one in terms of sales through the 90s, and it manages to capture about a quarter of the delivery market. Domino's and Little Caesars
0: are hot on its tail. But then the pioneer of delivery suffers a strikeout when a series of lawsuits put Domino's in the wrong kind of spotlight. The speedy 30-minute delivery guarantee that Domino's Pizza
5: has built its reputation on has been scrapped by the company because it has been blamed for deaths and traffic accidents. Last That's
0: week NPR's three, Susan Stamberg in 1993. By now, a couple of other chains from Michigan have taken hold. Hungry Howie's brings its flavored crusts. Jets introduces mass-produced square deep dish. More on that later. And another Midwestern upstart, Papa John's, would soon be angling for a slice promising, quote, better ingredients and better pizza, playing off of this growing belief that all of these big chains have forgotten in this war about the quality of their product. Laura, this is getting crazy. In the end, can we actually say who won the pizza wars? I don't know, but I found this quote from The Washington Post, and it says, quote, The combatants all seem to be drawing strength from the battle. Opening more outlets, hiring more drivers, selling more pizzas. And you know, that's still true. More pizza equals more pizza eaters. Right. Equals more pizza.
4: I guess that means the winner is the American public. Crouching behind the dinner plate, taking home that championship trophy. Of course, our Michigan pizza kings didn't fare so badly either, amassing billions of dollars along the way. So what did these pizza power brokers do with their growing kingdoms? We'll get into that after the break. Stay with us.
2: Support for the Doe Dynasty podcast comes from Visit Detroit, featuring the Detroit Pizza Pass, a digital passport to curated pizza restaurants in Metro Detroit with mobile check-in opportunities at each location. Information at visitdetroit.com slash digital passes. Support for the Doe Dynasty podcast comes from Visit Detroit, featuring the Detroit Pizza Pass, a digital passport to curated pizza restaurants in Metro Detroit with mobile check-in opportunities at each location. Information at visitdetroit.com slash digital passes.
4: All right, Laura, so we have to talk about how all this pizza power was used mm. because... The way these dynasts of dough invested their personal wealth has been of great consequence to the city of Detroit, to American sports,
0: and to our modern cultural politics. Mm -hmm. Tom Monahan and Mike Illich may have been at odds over market share of the growing pizza industry, but they were at even greater odds over a mutual love. The Detroit Tigers both wanted to own the team, but... Tom got there first. He bought the team in 1983. He credits the World Series winning Tigers for making Domino's a household name just a year later.
3: Most owners, you never see them.
0: That's Bill McGraw
3: again. And
4: he says Tom Monahan was a bit of an enigma in the press box.
3: Uh, Monaghan, on the first day of spring training, was not only at spring training, but he was dressed in a tiger uniform, fulfilling one of the childhood fantasies of his and many young Michiganders, he played catch with Al Kaline, And that just was so out of the ordinary. He came across, while he was a tremendously successful businessman, he came across as a little goofy. And Monaghan, he's on a tear. He
4: started spending money on his other childhood loves, architecture and cars. I mean, a lot of money. So much so that he was interviewed about it on NPR.
1: So 3,600 stores, almost $2 billion worth of pizza being sold a year. And a couple of weeks ago, you wrote a check for $8.1 million for a $8.1 million for a, car? for a Bugatti Royale. Not a car, a Bugatti Royale. <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what is the year of the car? That's a 1929
3: he was really um, living the life, living large, to put it mildly, of a millionaire. You know, he was into collecting Frank Lloyd Wright architecture, uh, meaning both houses and furniture and things.
1: I was an admirer of his uh, from the time I was about 12 years old. That goes back to 1949.
0: Tom talking to NPR's Susan Stamberg. What was it? Do you remember? What was the first thing you saw of his?
1: Well, I saw a book in the library, uh, in the public library, about him and uh, a lot of pictures of uh, of his uh, more better-known works, and I was just fascinated with the uh, with the photos. And, you know, Roby House and Falling Water and uh, Johnson's Wax Tower and Midway Gardens.
0: Monaghan spent millions on Frank Lloyd Wright furniture, decorative objects, houses, and then he created Domino's headquarters in Ann Arbor in the prairie style of Frank Lloyd Wright. The headquarters is still there, a sprawling pastoral campus on a street named Frank Lloyd Wright Drive.
4: Over at Little Caesars, Mike Illich still wants the Tigers. He'd played for the Tigers farm team as a young man. But the owner, John Fetzer, had chosen to sell the team to Tom Monahan instead.
3: Fetzer wouldn't sell to Illich, and I don't remember the precise reason, but it um, might have had to do with maybe he didn't think Illich had the financial uh, capabilities then, but he he nonetheless didn't sell to Illich.
0: Maybe he didn't like his pizza.
4: <laughs> but not to be outdone in the arena of sports franchise ownership, Mike Illich bought the city's hockey team, the Detroit Red Wings.
1: You know, publicly, they're, they're called the Dead Wings.
4: As you may infer from what Mike Illich said, the team was not doing well. The Red Wings owner at the time, Bruce Norris, was getting booed by fans at games. And Mike Illich is thinking... This could be done better.
1: Uh, We weren't sure if we could afford it, but I said, I'm going to try, Marion. And uh, So they had a couple other bids in there, but they decided to go with us, and we were were lucky. It was timing, and uh, never dreamt to be able to afford the team.
3: And he had a a sterling reputation when he bought the Red Wings. In fact, Red Wing fans um, have been described as like a cult. You know, the Red Wings have been around since the 20s. It's a real intense hockey atmosphere, and they had nothing to cheer for for a long time. And and so this guy who has already had a track record in sports in Detroit buys the Red Wings, and Red Wing fans were ecstatic.
0: When Mike Illich bought the team, he was basically like, Look, I'm not afraid to spend money on winning, whatever it costs. I'm going to dump money into this thing for championships and trophies and show this city what team ownership is all about. It didn't happen overnight, but the Wings
4: eventually become an NHL powerhouse during the 1990s. It's
1: my pleasure
5: to present the Stanley Cup to Steve Eisenman.
4: And the Illich family was making other major investments in Detroit.
2: It'd be really hard to imagine um, Detroit, downtown Detroit, today, if you didn't have the Illich family.
4: Stephen Henderson is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and host of the daily talk show Detroit Today on WDET.
2: I mean, they made it possible to come and redo uh, buildings and and reopen things and reimagine things and not lose your shirt uh, because that was what was on the line when they started.
4: Stephen grew up in Detroit. He's lived
0: here most of his life, which makes what you're about to hear
2: almost sacrilege. Look, I mean, I, I would rather eat pizza in New York than in any other city in America. I mean, I, they don't have bad-
0: Including Detroit?
2: Yeah. Oh, what? Yeah. I mean, look, I love Detroit and I love Detroit pizza, but it, it doesn't compare to New York pizza. The pizza you buy at 2 a.m. out of the little crappy window.
0: No words. I know. But for what it's worth, he said he does love Buddy's, the original Detroit-style pizza. I just... Let, let's move on. Okay, so... In the Detroit of Mike Illich's childhood, the city had been a gleaming example of industry and prosperity. The manufacturing history that built much of America was born here. Auto plants provided good, middle-class jobs and a bustling downtown.
2: And then it all went to pot after about 1959 and people started to move to the suburbs and we started to make it easy for people to move to the suburbs. And then uh, the, the, the racial dynamic of Detroit kind of took hold of that uh, happening and made it worse. White people who were here decided that they didn't want to live with the African-Americans who were growing in number and assuming political power in the, in the city.
4: Detroit elected its first black mayor, Coleman Young, and he was looking for some help from the city's business owners.
2: Coleman Young approaches Mike Gillich and, and says, I'd like you to be a partner in, in trying to reimagine what we could do in downtown Detroit. Um, and they talk about the Fox Theater, which uh, for many decades was this kind of iconic entertainment spot in Detroit.
4: This was a strategic decision on Coleman Young's part. The Fox is foundational to Detroit music history. It was built in the late 1920s and has hosted some of the world's most talented musicians over the
2: years. I mean, imagine going to a concert where you would see Stevie Wonder and Diana Ross and The Four Tops and The Temptations and all these people together. Uh, on stage,
0: and it was the gateway to downtown. But in the 1980s, the theater was rough.
2: I saw the Smiths at the <laughs> at the Fox in the early 1980s, and there were barely seats uh, left. I mean, it was it was a wreck. Uh, I mean, you you literally could just like throw stuff down on the ground instead of in in garbage cans, and everything looked like it was falling down.
4: So Mayor Young goes to Mike Illich, in hopes that the pizza magnate will put some money into this downtown gem, and in doing so, spark the kind of investment that will help Detroit make a comeback.
2: It's a bad business proposition at the time, because everybody's leaving Detroit. But Mike Illich uh, says, okay, uh, let's let's see how we make this work.
4: The Illiches acquire the Fox, invest millions, and shine the historic theater up to its former glory. Mike Illich becomes a hero of sorts.
2: What? I remember about him more than anything else is that that gleam, I guess, that I would say he would get in his eye when he would talk about Detroit and how he felt about it. There was always a really clear emotional motivation to what he was doing. It wasn't just business. Uh, it was passion. It was love for Detroit.
4: As Little Caesars grew, so did the Illich's broader business interests. In 1992, Mike finally finds Tom Monahan ready to sell him the Detroit Tigers.
0: I think it's a good time to buy, because uh, I think this is one of the best franchises, one of the top ten franchises in the country.
4: In 2000, the Tigers complete construction of a new ballpark next to the Fox Theater. This is outstanding stuff. April 11th, baby, right here 2000, Open Day Comerica Park. 2005, Marion Illich becomes sole owner of the Motor City Casino Hotel. And then, Illich Holdings opens Little Caesars Arena to house the Red Wings, the Pistons, and on occasion, Beyonce.
0: But here's where things really start to get messy. The Illich family name, along with much of the property that they own in the city, is becoming outsized and in decline. They slap a giant image of the Little Caesar on top of the roof of the new arena, and they fail to deliver on promises for an entertainment district, instead appearing to favor surface parking lots and tearing down historic buildings. And the company
4: amasses a lot of property, some of which it's not actively developing. It's unclear exactly how much land the company holds. There are at least a dozen
0: smaller firms under the Illich Holdings umbrella. When he passed away in 2017, Mike Illich had an estimated net worth of more than $6 billion. He had transformed downtown Detroit, and his investments continue to shape the look and feel of the city.
2: It's not a free pass for them in terms of, uh, you know, just being able to do things without impunity or without scrutiny. Uh, But I do think that if they were to pick up and just say, to hell with it, we're done with Detroit, we would be in a lot of trouble.
0: After Tom Monaghan sold the Tigers to Mike Illich, he was just a few years away from selling the pizza business itself. Monaghan sold off a lot, actually, by 1998 when he sold Domino's to Bain Capital. He got rid of much of his collection of luxury cars and Frank Lloyd Wright buildings. And not because he needed the money, but because he was turning to a passion that had driven the narrative of much of his life his devotion to the Catholic Church. Monahan invested a lot of money he made from selling dominoes and other various assets into conservative Catholic causes. Like founding Ave Maria College of
4: Law in Florida. Here's Tom Monahan.
2: None of the Catholic law schools had a majority of Catholic uh, faculty nor, uh, nor students. So uh, we needed a good... Uh, uh, Orthodox Catholic law school.
4: The late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia helped shape the curriculum at Ave Maria. Justice Clarence Thomas has been a speaker there, and
0: Monahan was also the founder of the Thomas More Law Center.
2: It is no secret
1: that America is now reeling from the staggering effects of a full-funded and well-organized culture war, designed to de-Christianize America.
0: The group's mission is to preserve America's Judeo-Christian heritage and, quote, defend the religious freedom of Christians. It's been very active in right-wing legal causes, including but not limited to abortion bans, anti-Muslim policies, even election denialism. After the buyout dominoes, though maintaining a deep respect for its founder, distanced itself from Monahan's conservative politics. Needless to say, we could do
4: a whole other podcast on the political impact Monahan and Illich have made with their pizza-based fortunes. The ripple effects of money made in the pizza industry can be found far beyond professional sports team ownership. But one thing that's undeniable, these two men and the Doe dynasties that they built right here in Michigan helped forever change what we think of as American food. And they created
0: a world where the next generation of pizza makers can innovate and create new takes on old favorites. They opened the door to what is now the artisan home mom-and-pop pizza movement. Most pizza makers that I know, the highest quality of pizza makers, some of their favorite pizza memories were at chain pizza shops or ordering from chains because that's what lit the spark.
4: Next time on Dough Dynasty, we'll hear from this new generation of pizza chefs about the burgeoning dominance of another Michigan pizza innovation, Detroit style. You've been listening to Dough Dynasty, a limited-run podcast series from Michigan Radio. I'm April Bear,
0: mushroom and pepperoni on thin crust. And I'm Laura Weber Davis, pineapple Detroit-style deep dish. And if you like what you heard, share the pod with a friend. Maybe while you're also sharing a pizza? This episode was produced by April Van Buren, whose current favorite slice is a samosa pizza from Mama Pizza in Ypsilanti, Michigan, with a side of cheesy bread, please. Other producers on the podcast are Ronia Cabansag, Mercedes Mejia, and OG pizza driver Mike Blank. Rachel Ishikawa is Doe Dynasty's podcast editor extraordinaire. Our web team is
4: Jody Westrick and Paulette Parker with help from Emma Winnewicki. Special thanks to Pizza Consiliere, Holly Eaton, and to Tessa Kresh, Kate Weiser, and Olivia Meradian. Christopher Johnson did voiceovers for this episode. We had a lot of archival tape in this episode, and so there are a lot of people to thank. Thanks to WDIV for letting us dig into their archives. Portions of news reports originally broadcast on NPR's Morning Edition, Weekend Edition, and All Things Considered are used with the permission of NPR. Additional
0: audio provided courtesy of Bally Sports Detroit. Our theme music comes from Personal and the Pizzas. Additional music from Audio Network and Blue Dot Sessions. Doe Dynasty also has a newsletter where you can get exclusive pizza-related content and more fun stuff. Sign up at MichiganRadio.org slash doe. Till next time, we bid you peace or pieces. Pieces of pizza. Lots
4: of pieces. And breadsticks. And beer. Pitchers and pitchers and pitchers of beer. And
0: Greek salad. Bye bye.
2: Bye.